The Rebel Leadership Podcast, a refreshing take on authentic leadership told through real stories. Let's smash the status quo and change how leaders lead once and for all. Hustle. It's really the fuel that drives leaders forward when pursuing their vision. But it is hard to keep that energy up every single day, and especially on the hard ones. GURPS Rye is the founder and CEO of Drop. The company's patented See It, Want It, Get It technology allows users to click on products within video and purchase it right then and there. Drop has successfully launched its beta, and the results have been tremendous. His background is more than impressive. From being a prominent figure in the global carbon market, to being an early investor in blockchain technology and cryptocurrency, to being the creator of the world's most expensive piece of footwear, to being intertwined in the hip-hop and music industry, he has done it all. GURPS has always been a leader who strives towards making a positive impact on the world and making those around him successful. But it was his hustle on the hard days that led to the good ones. Without further ado, let's hear from GURPS about his path to success. He'll drop, sorry, pun intended, some wisdom to aspiring and current leaders to prove how positive leadership should really sound. I hope you enjoy this episode. Check out drop.tv and embrace your next aha moment. So tell me a little bit about your business, Drop TV, as it stands today, and then we're going to back up in history. Sure. So Drop is the world's first shoppable streaming company. It's the first time that a company has figured out how to create a shopping experience, which we've coined, uh, well, actually, Anderson Horowitz coined Shoppertainment, and we're, we're running with it. It's uh, you know, allowing the consumer to shop within the filmic flow of the media that they watch it and the video that they watch it, and whether it's a movie or it's a TV show or music video. You know, last year we launched July 31st. Never remember that day. It was the most stressful day of my life. But <laughs> we started with music videos just because being around the music industry for so long, it was easy for me to, to, to reach out to artists, but it was also, I've seen what they go through to monetize. I've been there with big artists when they've looked into their AdSense portal and the disappointment on their face. In that arena against the behemoths with huge budgets. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at YouTube, only 3% of the people that actually make a living at, at YouTube, right? Only 3% of these like accounts. Everybody else is struggling, you know, trying to figure the algorithms out. And, you know, obviously... YouTube is a business, so they take preference on the Kevin Hartz, for instance, over the little less known comedian that's a waiter part-time, you know? So I started with music videos to keep a narrow focus just because music videos have fashion. They have the little hype around them, especially if you have the premiere of the music video. And every musician's an influencer, right? They influence their fans and they have their fans. So the first video we ever did was a resounding success, which to me was scary because I was like, what about the next video? And then everybody's sitting there looking, saying, oh, but we need 25% growth every time a video drops. I said, well, that's not sustainable. Not every artist is the same. My goal was as long as they make money. I don't care if they make 50 bucks or they make a thousand bucks, as long as they make money. And thankfully, since we launched, artists are making $500, which is amazing for them. You know, a lot of these artists never had merch because they just were like, you know, heavy lifting. I don't want to be stuck with inventory. And we're like, oh no, it's how you don't get stuck with inventory. Also like proving to my board that this was the right move to make because everybody was like, oh, just white label it to Netflix. Yeah, like that's really easy. Right, you have to start somewhere. Yeah, you get these great investors, but they look at the end result. They don't look at how you're going to get there. Like, you know, I always call it the alphabet syndrome, right? 
you want to get to Z, but you have to go through every character to get there. You can't just skip that. We had to prove that consumers want to shop like this. The artists want to do this. And then we realized that we had a two-sided marketplace that actually needed to make it even more complex, a three-sided marketplace, because there's more revenue out there that we were leaving on the table. So we didn't start with this idea to have a three-sided marketplace. It was something the artists said to us and consumers' feedback that came to us from beta testing and the data that came back that said, well, you need to bring in brands. We're like, great, that's even more complex. A three-sided marketplace mm -hmm. that my whole career I've been told stay away from. You know, we realized that just integrating with Shopify, for instance, alone wasn't enough. Shopify is its own platform. And, and the other thing, like the argument that I had why we needed to create our own e-commerce engine was if you look at Shopify as a business, right, 70% of their shops, their store will be out of business if it wasn't for Facebook. Now, mm. I don't want to build a business that relies on another business to keep the businesses within my ecosystem alive. That's why, I, you know, I was like, well, I'm doing it in reverse, right? I'm relying on Shopify now. And right, you don't want to be reliant on them and their yeah, technology parameters. The, the, well, what I hear in that story is that you're almost letting your purpose lead you, not the idea lead you. Yep. So was it chicken and egg like it feels, right? Or yeah. was it truly the purpose first where it was allowing those musicians, artists to monetize? What has so, been your guiding force? It's really been um, like the creator economy, just because I've been around small artists and then I've been around, like I'm fortunate that some of my friends that you know, I've been around and we grew up together, they're like some of the biggest names in the music industry today. But I saw their struggles, right? I saw, I'm not gonna mention any names, when they had to wear fake chains to a club show because mm -hmm. they couldn't afford real ones, but they were around artists that were established. So they, you know, they gotta keep up appearances and the stuff they would go through just to keep up appearances as well. It was so stressful for me to watch. I was just like, wow, you know, unbelievable. And seeing them where they are today, so it's made it easier for someone to become an artist, but it's made it harder for them to monetize, right? Like before it was, you had to run down on Russell Simmons and give him your mixtape. And then if he likes it, he'll reach out to you somehow, somewhere. But now it's just like SoundCloud put up music. I didn't have to find a producer anymore. I just go to YouTube and type in Drake style beats. And now I got like an endless supply of beats and just keep putting out content. But that doesn't mean I'm gonna make any money from it. Especially hip hop music. Like hip hop music is 60% of the music industry right now. So the revenue that comes in. And, you know, it's all about keeping up appearances, all about the clothes you wear, the lifestyle you lead. And, you know, you can't just go work at McDonald's and right. be a rapper. You're supposed to be aspirational. So it's just like you're spending money on all this stuff. Like you got to have an ROI on it, because otherwise I've seen kids with a lot of talent. They've gone and borrowed money off their local drug dealer to shoot a music video. They got to pay that guy back. And this is like all real facts. And I'm like, there has to be a better way. Did you always know that that was your end goal? No, it's crazy because like, I've always found the joy in what I've done. Like I've always walked into situations and I've been like, what do I like about being here? And then, you know, I focus on those types of things. With like any business, the economic benefit for your stakeholders is the key. And that's your mission. My mission is to make artists as much money as possible. When I said that first to, to investors, they looked at me and were like, what about us? I'm like, well, if they're making money, where do you think we are? Don't focus on us. So, you know, a lot of great entrepreneurs always say that. And I remember being younger when I used to hear that quote, do something that's gonna help others, like give them a benefit. And I just feel like, yeah, that's really easy to say you're a billionaire. And then when I got a little older, I started realizing that's the best way because that's your consumer, that's your customer. If they're happy, you have a business. If they're not happy, then you don't. Right, 
and you're not profitable forever without them. Exactly. Tech in particular, like there's no such thing as profit no more, right? This is, all these companies like Uber is not profitable. So it's, now in the seat that you're in and having all the experiences that you've had, what are some of the things that you learned along the way that you, you wish to inspire others? Um, be careful how you raise money and who you raise money from. I learned this by sitting on the other side of the table and investing in other companies. I'll be in other rooms and I'll be hearing opportunities for companies that I'm an investor in and I'll be connecting the dots. And when I started Drop, I was like, I need investors like me that care about the success of the company, not because of the money that I've invested, because of the mission that they're on. And I've been really, really thankful. Like one of our investors, Brady, uh, he, he owns a company called Cine Concerts and, and him and his partner, Justin, invested in us really early. And he's literally sitting there coming up with ideas about how we can make the company stronger and better and how we create new revenue models. That's the type of investor you want. I think the other thing is invest in good people in your company that, are, you know, don't treat them as employees, treat them as partners. Because the quicker they feel that they own, you know, that's their baby too, the harder they work. And like the beautiful thing about Drop is we might be a small team, but I will get a call on a Sunday night at midnight saying, I'm talking to this artist. Can you jump on really quickly? And I'm like, when do you guys sleep? And they were like, yeah. no, this is our company. You know, like they defend it. Well, to passion the- and inspiration infiltrating into your team is one of the hardest parts of leadership because you have to find ways, not just financially, because not all leaders can afford to give up a, a percentage stake of their company or they're not at that stage in their business. Maybe they're running a more mature business where that's not necessarily possible. So like, what are some of the other ways outside of financials that you have inspired people to stay passionately invested. You've actually met Steve before. He did the demo for you guys originally. Yeah. When he first came to work for us, he was an intern. It didn't cost us anything, but we paid his travel and food and stuff. It was a little something. And he had fresh out of college. You know, I was like running around like a headless chicken, trying to like keep the company, you know, package it right, get it right. And, you know, I'll clean the toilets and, and I'll do the presentations, you know, and I'll write every word and everything. And I felt like, you know, me and, me and my partner at the time kind of felt like, you know what, do we really need this kid? We're kind of holding him back. We don't really have time to, you know, build him. And, you know, we got to be fair to each other. So we took him for a drink. And that drink was to tell him, great having you here, but I don't think it's going to work. And he sat there and he listened and he said, you know what? what if I just come here for free? I was like, what? He's like, I just want to work here for free. And he goes, I promise you I'm learning, I'll, but I'll learn faster. And I was like, I looked at Chris and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Because like all the other interns are coming going like, yes, sir, I do. We always, you know, if they like to have a drink, we'll take them for a drink. They like to, food was a thing, we'll take them for food, but we wouldn't just get rid of them. Like we'll give them the reason why it wasn't a good fit for us, but it wasn't a good fit for you either, right? And they'll be like, okay, cool. And they'll leave. Yeah. This kid yeah. was just like, yeah, I, I'll come here. I'll pay for myself to get hit. I was just like, all right, let's test that theory. So he came to work for a whole month, paid for himself. And he used to travel two hours to get to Fifth Ave where the old office was. And every day, early, he'll leave the latest and slowly started becoming important in the company. And before his first month, free month was over, we ended up putting him on a real salary. Because I was like, damn, this kid is really good. Sometimes I go on calls when he does demos now. I don't even need to talk. The other day we were on a call with an artist. Halfway through his demo, the artist was like, stop, stop. And Stephen was like, what's up? 
He's like, yeah, I'm all in. Just let me know what, what I got to do. I was just like, this kid's a beast. Like, for me, he's like one of the most important employees at the company now. I felt that he was inspired by seeing me stay till 9, 10 p.m. And he would just hang around. And he's just like, I, he goes, I, I've never seen commitment like that before to something. He goes, you know, if that's, any, that's the only thing I learned. He goes, that's going to go a long way if, if, if you guys get rid of me. And I was just like, get rid of you? You're like my right, right hand man right now. Spotting so. when someone just needs a chance is a huge part of leadership too, because you in that role of someone with an idea in the beginning, it doesn't just magically happen. It's like you wanted somebody to believe in you and, and know that you've got it and that you're willing to work for free until it was profitable. You're yeah. kind of giving that back to someone yeah. that you eventually ended up needing and can't live without. Yep. Yep. No, absolutely. I mean, the other thing is this, as an entrepreneur, I think is really important is to have thick skin. I walked in, one of my good, good friends, I'm not going to say what label, but he works for one of the major three labels. He's high up executive. When I first sat down with him and walked him through, through what drop was going to be, he told me, don't waste your time, don't waste your money. It's never going to work. He's the same person that I didn't speak to for 12 months, called me in December and said, how can we do a deal? I just started laughing and I laughed for like a minute straight. And he was just like, I know, I know that he's just like, I motivated you. Right. I said, yeah, yeah. But I was just like, imagine I had listened to you, you know, so take in advice from everybody. Absolutely. But do your own research. You know, I did the same thing to my brother last year who started a, a telemedicine app. And when he first told me the idea, this was like 2019, actually in December, I was like, that's come on, you don't need to go through this. And, and today it, you know, he's just, I think he just closed his Series A round or he's halfway through, his, he just opened it and, and it's like growing exponentially. He's doing deals with governments. And Amazing. I'm like, wow. You well, know, it's kind of like I, a cautionary tale of be wary of the naysayers. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I've been the naysayer and I've been on the other side of it. And that, I think that's the biggest life lesson for me is that you can achieve anything. Like I come, we come up with drop sitting on my couch, you know, watching a music video. I think it was a Hotline Bling Drake video. And he was wearing this uh, Montclair jacket. I didn't even know it was Montclair mm -hmm. at the time. And we're all trying to figure out what jacket he had on. And I was just like, it was so cool if we could just, like, you know, tap it. And, and look at where we are today, you know. And most yeah. people, though, in that moment would just be like, yeah, cool idea. And then keep watching. But yep. what was it about you that forced you to keep pursuing that idea? Um, I think it was out of necessity. I, at that time, I had nothing to do. I've always been, like, coding. And I loved Flash when it first came out. That, and... You know, R.I.P. The first, <laughs> yeah. Well, the first, it's funny because the first iteration of Drop, I'd used the same fundamentals that Flash uses to tag manually, and it worked. And I went and showed it to everybody at our, at our you know, family office, and I was just like, hey, guys, look what I did. And they were like, holy shit, this is amazing. They were like, how did you do it? I said, it took me hours. Like, I was like, it took me three weeks. And they were like, yeah, that's not scalable, dude. I was just like, I know, but imagine it was automatic. So, right. you know. Coming up with an idea is, is, is one thing, but implementing it is just a whole nother animal altogether. And you're gonna get all the no's before any of the yeses come. But it's just belief, right? You gotta believe in your vision. Were there days where you just felt like you couldn't go another day? This morning. <laughs> but, <laughs> no, it, it happens. Uh, you know, thankfully, like, we've got over, over that hump. Um, 
We've, we've got to a point now where this is like probably the most fun we're going to have with drop because then it gets serious when you start doing these B rounds and C rounds and, you know, you start having HR, for instance, right? Everything yeah. kind of gets serious. But like now is the most fun because when we're talking to artists, labels, doesn't matter who we talk to, it's just like they either get it or they don't get it. And if they don't get it, we go with the guys that get it. So there's more people getting it now than they are not getting it. And it's a fun period. But before... Going to VCs that know me. I know these guys. I've invested in their funds. And sitting on the other side of the table, and I was like, holy shit, these guys are not nice people. Like, was I like this? Like, then I started going back. I felt like calling everybody I'd ever, like, <laughs> that had come pitch me to apologize, saying, damn. So um, That's a good life lesson, you know? Like, when I talk to you five years from now, what do you hope that you're like in that leadership role of a massive company? Damn, I hope there's another CEO by then. I think I'll be like 80 <laughs> in, in like, uh, no. Um, I really hope that I still connect with everybody in the company. Like right now, I talk to everyone, whether you're like an intern. And the crazy thing is because of the pandemic, 90% of my workforce, I never met. Like, you know, we scaled so fast, like in the last like six, seven months. The, I haven't, Jen, our CMO, I've never met her in, in real life. Oh like gosh. it's crazy. Uh, you know, I see CCR, I never met her in real life, but I feel like I've known her my whole life. So it's nuts. It's, it's you know, the pandemic has done that and, and shout out to Zoom, right? That's, I mean, look, look we're talking today, thanks to- So how did um, you do that? How did you build those relationships? I think we just got lucky and hired the right people. And don't get me wrong, you know, in New York, the first interview is the best interview. And then you get, I always call it the represent, representative. I'm like, that's why I like, I was like, all right, well, now we met the representative in a week, two weeks time, we're gonna meet the real person. And, you know, yeah, we had high turnover to begin with because also with startups, it's about culture, right? Like yeah. when you're, especially when you're, when you're innovating, like if it wasn't for the pandemic, we would be bleeding edge. We would have, we would be struggling. And when you're in that type of company, it's a dogfight. Like every day is Groundhog's Day times Saving Private Ryan. Like every day you wake up, you're trying to storm the beach, right? And if, if everybody that's with you is not storming the beach with you and they're, they're standing back a little bit, then it's never going to work. And, you know, we had great people come, but they just didn't fit the culture. And, you know, we finally got it and it clicked. And it really clicked, like, I would say, like, six weeks before we launched the soft launch. And things started clicking. And I feel that we have a team, like, you know, it's a family kind of vibe, even though some people haven't even met each other before. Right. That vibe is so critical and you're spot on. I'm, like, laughing because every first interview, we know that's the best we're going to get of that person. Yep. And so if you have that feeling as a leader of like, I don't know, this just doesn't feel right, trust your gut. So how much of your experience has been about trusting your gut instinct? <laughs> so um, one of my co-founders, the CFO, Chris, he'll take my gut instinct over any analysis or data or anything. It's weird. It's just like I, I either click with somebody or I don't click with somebody. And if I click with them, they're usually with me for life. So, you know, everybody I've worked with and worked with for like more than a year, I've worked with for the next 10 years, 15 years. And they're the same people that, like, for instance, as a streetwear designer, he's like the God, one of the godfathers of streetwear, Willie Esco. I've known him for 15 years. And I had to trick him to get him into my office to see drop. He was just like, look, I'm in a, I'm in a space. I'm happy. I've done, you know, I sold my companies. I'm, I'm, I'm relaxed. I'm chilling. Dude. And, you know, just because I have their relationship with him and we've made money together, uh, we've built, you know, projects and brands together. And when he came in, he was just, he fell in love with Drop. And I just wanted him 
to give me a couple of the brands that he still owned a piece of, but you know, wasn't operating anymore. And I was like, this would be an easy way to get it. He was like, I'll do that. I need to be a part of this. I was like, I thought you didn't want I had to trick you to get you here. So I was You're like, right. you know, I think that's like, that's, that's key. Like just those relationships. And, but that's and, also being a good person. It's a testament to who you are and how you've treated people along the way, because those relationships don't follow you if you've walked all over everybody to get to where you are. Yeah. I, I also say this as well, right. To that fact, like I've met people and I've got people in my life today that, you know, are super hyper successful but they might not be the nicest person. Like, you know, I don't always agree with how they treat the waiter at the restaurant, for instance. Mm-hmm. It all just depends on, you know, human beings are like emotional creatures. You might catch someone at the wrong day and get the wrong impression of them. So I, I typically reserve my uh, opinion of someone until I sit down with them and, and, and we try to do something together. How much of your success in Drop has been because of hustle and drive versus being at the right place at the right time? I think it's a mixture. Right. Because I couldn't have put the pandemic in my business plan. We got lucky in that instance. But what about the year and the two years before where we hustled to stay alive as a business? So, you know, it's it's a mixture of both. And I always say, like, it's about staying in the game and hustling until you get that moment of luck. So what does your gut tell you right now about drop state? This is the, the most zen I've been since we started and the happiest I've been. I just think, you know. We're still climbing the mountain. You know, we got a lot to do, a lot to go. And there's always external forces. Like, all of a sudden, we went from being the ugly duckling at the, at the VC, you know, table to, to everyone. Hey, you should launch a B-round. I said, oh, of course, yeah, that's a great idea. No, I'm good for that. <laughs> so, you know, we're in a really, really good place. But we also had a critical phase where we just, you know, have to figure out certain things with scaling. And, and I feel that... You know, we're building technology that we haven't shown to the world yet either, that we feel that's going to help us scale really, really quickly in the next like six to 12 months. And, um, you know, we've had our luck now and it's time to hustle again. Future years from now, how do you want to be remembered as a leader? I want to be remembered as, as the guy that helped content creators finally take ownership of what they own. If I can, when I get to that point, I think my uh, journey with Drop might be time for me to take a back seat. And, you know, that might happen at the end of this year. It might happen five, ten years from now. I don't know. But I feel, you know, there's a kid sitting down on a couch wanting to give up making music. And there's the same kid sitting somewhere in, in the world wanting to give up, you know, shooting his short film. Um, you know, speaking of short films, like there's a guy who's Oscar nominated this, this drop in, his short film on Drop. Uh, in a few days and the next him I want to be able to inspire that person so you know that that's that's where I see it thank you for all the good you're doing in the world it was a pleasure Ah, to talk to you today that's an absolute pleasure thank you for your time